0: Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show. I'm Kyle Coster. Let's peel back the curtain right away. I'm gonna be solo today. That was not my intention. I asked my colleague, my friend, my coworker, my ride or die, my constant, my hero, my inspiration, my muse, my idol. Liam McCune if he would be so kind as to join me so we can do a back and forth, get a little banter going, talking about the issues of the day, you know, really get some of the energy up. Um, You know, I think sometimes when it's by myself, I drag. I know that I get sick of listening to myself. I love to hear what other perspectives bring to the table. But Liam informed me that he had just gotten his first vaccination shot. And therefore he was too weary and too tired to podcast, which on one hand is, extraordinarily bleak, just a dark, dark sentence. Those words in that particular order paint a picture of kind of a hellscape dystopian world, which you could argue, yeah, maybe we are on the cusp of, maybe we're coming out of, I don't know, embrace debate there. But it's also the most 2021 sentence I could bring myself to remember. Being too tired from a shot that was meant to save hundreds and thousands of additional lives to speak into a microphone about sports and pop culture matters. What a time to be alive and getting needles in our arms. So we'll go solo today. That's fine. I have something I want to discuss and it is Tony Reali getting a new deal at ESPN, a new multi-year contract. will keep him there. And I think looking at reality's body of work, I wrote this yesterday. It's really amazing. The counting stats that he's put up. Reality joined the network when he was 20 or 21, very young out of Fordham, which by the way is where Liam went. Liam, one reason why you're not where Reality is, he would have said yes to the podcast vaccine and all, but moving on, Reale started as a fact checker. Then he became the stat boy on Pardon the Interruption back in 2001. He was named the full-time host of Around the Horn in February, 2004. And since then he's presided over 3,800 shows in which the points don't matter. You combine that with his time on PTI, you're looking at someone who might have 4,500 television appearances to his belt at the age of 41. And forecasting out, I think this is someone who's going to stay at ESPN for as long as he wants to stay at ESPN and ESPN should absolutely keep him in the fold. And when that's all said and done, we could be looking at a situation where a wiser, still engaging And still chronically hip reality is crossing the 10,000 show barrier sometime around, I don't know, 2042, 2038, if we can ramp up some appearances, I don't know. I would love it because when you really get to thinking about what reality has done at the network He is someone who, if there was a Hall of Fame in Bristol, they should put his mute button up in the rafters. The brilliance of that block of television between five and six o'clock to persevere over two decades is really monumental without changing the structure of the show too much. It's just people sitting around, giving quick takes, talking about the issues of the day, and they found and they tapped into the exact level of seriousness and silliness that the viewers would enjoy at that time of the day. And I think that there's been so many programs that have come afterwards that have tried to mold themselves and find that same level of fun to find that sweet spot of we're taking it somewhat seriously, but we're not taking it too seriously. And some have come close and, and some have stuck around, but a lot have just not. Been able to do that. And I think the real star of that show is not the stable of panelists that get recycled in. It serves an important role for the network, less important than it used to be, because what ESPN did a long time ago is they decided here's one thing we're going to do. The people who are the best on television are not necessarily former athletes, it's writers and reporters. Once they get acclimated and comfortable on television, they're going to say the interesting things because, by definition, they were sort of forced and asked to be interesting in print, and it's just a new skill set. Now that's something that, in recent years, has been devalued with the change in in regime between Skipper and Pataro. But still, that block of around the Horn and PTI remains largely encased in amber and still as enjoyable as anything else you want to watch at that time of day. It's something, everybody's viewing habits ebb and flow, right, so I was thinking about my history with Around the Horn and how much fun it was to sit around in the dorm room in in the early ages of the show and watch it with with buddies and to watch it uh, in the cafeteria dining hall stuff like that it was just a safe programming that was kind of hitting the high level stuff with some fun things mixed in there and what reality is able to do is he is able to succinctly and efficiently tee up everybody to be their best he's so smooth at introducing things not using any extraneous information, but also giving it some color and some background so it's not just issue number one. He is not he is not offering things up like, uh, this is going to really age me and date me, but like the McLaughlin, the McLaughlin group, he is giving it some zest and some spice. There's a little bit of coriander in there maybe. Uh, you know, hit, hit your, hits the palate a little bit different and challenging, surprises you from time. But largely he gets out of the way. And he has the ultimate—he has the ultimate weapon in the mute button, but he uses it judiciously, and and he's fair. He's not even tough. He's not like one of those teachers that were tough but fair, which I always thought was kind of a backhanded compliment and something that people just said when a teacher was a real jerk, uh, but they wanted to soften a little bit. He's a very warm television presence. He is not polarizing. And I think that he might be the best representation of what ESPN has in terms of the type of people that any company would be proud to have work for them. I think that Reality has been a presence on social media that is really inspiring. He is unflinchingly positive. He is tremendously patient with trolls who say hateful things to him. He has been through the toughest personal tragedy a person can can go through and come out on the other side with his head held high and like this beacon of what people can do and how they can persevere and how they can find the glimmer of hope in this world and share it with others. He has handled himself so beautifully on the public stage for all these years. And you can't fake how much that he cares. You see these interactions, if you follow him on Twitter, once a week where someone reaches out to him with a question. And the answer they get back is always so thoughtful. And it's always so revealing about him as a person. I don't know. You would be hard-pressed to find someone who's as comfortable with themselves as reality is. And so comfortable sharing that with other people so that they can get to that place as well. He's unabashed as a dad, as, as someone who is loves his family. I just think it's like, he's kind of like the composite all around good guy uh, for anybody who, who follows him. And I think that that's important. That's a huge element of what it takes to be an enduring personality on television there's an argument to be made that it's a bit antiquated, that you can attract more flies with vinegar than honey now, that the squeakiest wheel always gets the most grease and attention. And while those things may be true, those aren't the actions, hot takes and manufactured outrage and things like that. They don't go hand in hand with being a person and in the lived shared experience and reality is unbelievably human and he inspires other people to be human. And that matters. That matters so much, especially on a show where he's inviting in different people all the time with different perspectives. He will listen. I'm not so sure there's a better listener on ESPN airwaves or on any sports television airwaves as he is, because you watch other shows and so many people are waiting for the other person to stop talking so they can come over the top with their strong tape. Reality doesn't have to do that. And that opens them up to really, really absorb what everybody else is saying and take it to heart. And I think it's a, it's a skill, it's a trait that's in short supply and, and is really impressive when you start to consider the ecosystem that he lives in, and how unique the way he approaches his job is. He may not be the first or second or even third person that comes to your mind when asked to come up with candidates for an ESPN Hall of Fame, but he is certainly a person who deserves to be Considered, And I think that his unassuming nature and ability to perfectly play into the background and not always be under the lights has allowed him to be the best version of himself on television and also quietly assemble an unbelievable career, which still has a long way to go. Is no longer in a lot of places and Fox Sports Detroit has become Bally's Sports Detroit or whatever it is Um, and I could go look what it is right now but I think it's most instructive if uh if I just say it like that because I don't know what it is off the top of my head I do know that it looks different it looks different in presentation Uh, I was curious to see how much of the old bones of the broadcast would come over and what would be changed. Visually it's very busy on the lower right. They cycle in the scores from around major league baseball, but also from the NBA hockey. And I think that's all done with an eye to increasing the visibility of gambling, um, but it becomes distracting the things that are flashing and moving the most on the screen of a regular season baseball game are things that don't have anything to do with the game. It's just very unsettling. It takes away from kind of the entire baseball experience because as a baseball fan, it's my opinion that as clean of a screen you can give me in baseball and in golf, I want it pristine. I don't want to be absorbed by other bells and whistles because those two sports are slow moving things. Uh, It is theater that you can drop in and drop out of. And anytime you're flashing and moving parts, I think that that just becomes more chaotic. What has been surprising to me, and delightfully so, is the willingness to try to do different things. Matt Shepard is not Mario and Pemba. And Jack Morris is not someone who many baseball fans would really want to be calling their games. He just does not bring a lot to the table. And I lamented this in recent years that the broadcast seemed tailored to fans who are 65 or 70 years old. There was no life. There was no energy to it. It was just very dull, very staid very conservative. And it just very much was not for me. And I didn't understand how that could possibly help to attract younger baseball fans, which are important. So I'm pleasantly surprised that they have been going periodically back into the studio and pulling in Greg Monroe, who does a lot of pre and post game coverage or on site in game stuff, kind of like as that third voice, and they will have him walk through an at-bat ad, an ad that just happened a la something that would happen on MLB Network or where you, any place you're going to get an expanded breakdown of the game. But he's doing it while the broadcast is going on. And he is such welcome energy that it's unbelievable that he's not in the booth every single day because there's a chance that he would get exposed having to be there 140 times a year for nine innings to carry the load all that time. I think that there is a chance maybe we would run into a situation where he started to repeat a lot of the same points, which was the problem with Rod Allen, but we might be in the situation where the person who's third on the depth chart right now behind Jack Morris and Kurt Gibson, who I love, I think that Gibby's fantastic. He just does not have the ceiling that Monroe does. So I would love for them to move Monroe to the A-team because he's more exciting, he's more energetic, he will draw more people in, he has better insight about younger players in the game, and I've said this many times, I think that it's it's great to have an analyst who has played the game, but so often the Tigers and the and stations that have covered the tigers have decided that we need to get someone from the 1968 team or someone from the 1984 team uh that they have to be a part of this broadcast because those are the only teams that locals respect and while that may be partly true it's not sustainable because Mm -hmm. These people get further and further from the game as the years go on. And today's player has changed so much more in the last 10 years than they did from say like 1970 to 1980, like everything else in our society, there's been a rapid acceleration of change. And it takes someone who was just out of the dugout to understand that. And Monroe at this point has been out of the game for several years. So he is not even... He, he would be too old for a lot of these national gigs. You see it in baseball, you see it in certainly in football where the desire to get the player who is still playing and set him up in the booth uh, the next year so there can be as little daylight as possible between in the huddle or in the dugout and in the booth. So on one hand, very happy that, the Detroit Tigers broadcast seems to be improving, but also a little bit disappointed that the best person for the job or the person I wanna hear from the most is largely marginalized into this role while a less interesting voice is giving. All right, last thought for today is on Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani is someone out of a Matt Christopher book. He is this unbelievable athlete who day in and day out seems to have a propensity to do stuff that we've never seen before. A few Sunday nights ago, he threw a ball 101 miles per hour from the mound as a pitcher and hit a ball 115 miles per hour on its way out of the ballpark for a tape measure home run. The other day, he had a chopper to the infield, beat it out, running at 29 feet per second. He has all the tools. He does the things that you read about Babe Ruth doing. And he's doing it 100 years after Babe Ruth. And maybe that's the problem. Because when you have someone who is a mythical figure, They can never live up to the myths that they've created. We expect Otani to do incredible things every time he's at the plate. We expect him to do incredible things every time he's on the mound. It's unreasonable expectations. He was billed as this once in a generation talent. He may still be that once in a generation talent. He just has never been able to show it for a full year in the way a lot of people thought he could show it. The disappointments for Otani are tremendous successes for others. He hits 280, not good enough. He only starts nine games, not good enough. He's only the second best hitter in the Angels lineup. He's only The third or fourth best pitcher on the roster. He's only above average in every category. He's not the fastest player in the league. He's just one of them. He doesn't have the most power in the league, but he does have some pop. The narrative around Otani is so interesting because, frankly, I'm rooting for him. I want him to become this larger than life international superstar that revolutionizes the game. I want him to treat the major leagues like the biggest kid in little league treats his season, which is to say, dominate on the mound, dominate at the plate, dominate on the base paths. And when he appears human in any of the aspects. It gives the haters and the doubters more ammunition to point out, well, he can't do this and he can't do that. While ignoring that he can do more by definition than literally every other player in Major League Baseball. This season figures to be a turning point. He's 26 years old. He's fully acclimated to the major leagues. He hasn't gotten hurt yet, which given his track record stateside is something to celebrate and to hold our breath on. He's off to an incredible start. He's hitting 364. He has an OPS of 1187. He has four homers. 12 RBIs, two steals. He's pitched one game in which he collected seven strikeouts in four and two thirds innings. And he's doing those things that live atop MLB.com for days and get turned into blog posts. Is he the most exciting baseball player in the game right now? Maybe. Maybe. The question is, what does he need to do? What does he need to do to get over the hump and to be recognized as this legitimate, game-changing, transcendent figure in Major League Baseball? I think it's pretty simple. He has to play the full season. He has to contribute in both facets all year long. There can be no setbacks. The angels are off to a good start. They lead their division. I think he also needs to get to the postseason. As much as Mike Trout needs those October at-bats to build his legacy and to move it from the unbelievable numbers that appear in the newspaper every morning to the collective consciousness of people who are watching meaningful games, as the leaves turn color. If Otani can do it on the biggest stage and he could do it from the mound and in the batter's box, what kind of story is that? Pretty damn good one.